Well, let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for praise reports. God, thank you. Well, there's not one of us in here that doesn't have a praise report. God, there's just not. There's not one in here that doesn't have a... Lord, certainly the praise of our salvation, but so much beyond that. You've been so good, exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, God. You, you walk with us day by day. You prepare the roads before us. You walk with us and hold our hand. God, you keep the shade upon us, You uh, the light before us, God. You, Lord, you're everything that we need and so much more, God. Father, every one of us has praise reports, but God, there's so many with needs. There's so, so many that... That need a touch, Father. These were sicknesses and problems that we've called out. God, you know their needs, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd intervene with each one, especially Lord, with, with, with Sam and, and Michelle, God, with just unbearable pains, God. And Lord, even, even Freddie. I know Freddie with, with the hip, God. There's, there's an awful lot of pain associated with that, God. I pray, Father, we'd just intervene there and touch it, God. And I, I pray you'd help us to, to remember it is well with my soul, God. Some days when, when it's cloudy and rainy, it's hard to sing that, God. But when it's all said and done, it is well with our soul because you are good to us. Even on the rainy days, God, you're always there. We love you, Father. I pray you'd help us, God, to, to be mindful of all that you've done for us. I pray you'd teach us something from your word tonight. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter number 24, we'll pick up where we left off. It's been about three weeks, but <laughs> we are... Uh, we're at verse number 13. We finished off there at, at verse number 12. Paul, just to catch it up, he has been arrested. He was questioned by the, the captain of the army of the Roman army there, um, Lysias. He was brought in and, and, and he had been accused by the Sanhedrin. And then if you remember, there was this band of 40 plus men that made a vow that they were going to kill the apostle Paul. So they wouldn't eat or drink until they'd kill Paul. And as always, God made a way. He let Paul's nephew overhear it, and he went and told Paul, who sent him to Lysias, the captain of the Roman army, and told him, and they said, well, we'll just see about that. So he put together a, a group of 400 soldiers. He had 200 trained foot soldiers. He had 200 trained spearmen, and he had 70 men of the cavalry. And he took those 470 men, he delivered Paul to Caesarea, and he carried him down, got, got in there safely, and left those men up there just to be hungry. And then he's brought on... Um, Felix at Caesarea has brought the Apostle Paul up and he called for the Sanhedrin and said, you got charges against this guy, come down, make them known. It took them five days to get there because they had to get all their lies lined up. They had to get all their lies in tune. They had to get their attorney. That's basically what they had. They had a Roman official who was basically attorney speak on their behalf. And so they had to make sure he had their lies down. And they come down and they, they put everything up against the Apostle Paul. And, and then Felix gives the Apostle Paul the opportunity to speak. So Paul turns and, and he, he, he tells him, thank you, basically, for, for the chance and for the opportunity to speak on my behalf. And then he says, the thing that, that these men are accusing me of, they're, they're accusing me of causing a, a riot and, and planning an insurrection in Jerusalem and trying to create a, a rise of men against Roman authority. His first line of defense was, I've only been in Jerusalem for 12 days. I've been a prisoner for eight of those 12 days. Exactly when is it that I was supposed to have been planning this insurrection? Exactly how much time have I had to go out in these group of men? Not all that. I've been in Jerusalem for 12 days. I've been a prisoner for eight of them. And the other four, I was in the temple. I was there with four other men praying, purified. I, I was there on, on their behalf. And, and then this, this group of people who bring their accusations against me, they came into the temple. They started a riot. 
They drug me out into the street just to keep from profaning the temple with my blood. And they were going to kill me. But then the Roman soldiers came in and pulled me out, not because they were my hero, not because they came to my saving grace, not because they cared anything about me. They wanted to kill me themselves because they thought I was this other guy, this troublemaker, because they're hearing what the people said. But, but he, in verse number 12, we left off. They neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogue nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. Paul says anybody can make accusations. They made these accusations. They don't have one thread of proof against anything that they say. You know why they don't have any proof? Because there's not any proof. Where nothing was done, there's no proof. There's accusations, there's lies, there's false claims. But he says that there's no proof there. But this I confess in verse 14. He says, I confess unto thee. That, that after which the way they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believe in all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Paul says, I do have something to confess. I believe the scriptures. I believe the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, that's, that's the Old Testament. But, but if Paul were here today, he wouldn't just say the law and the prophets. He would say the law and the prophets, the gospels and the epistles. Because we still have the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament. But we, we have the gospels and the epistles in the New Testament. Plus, we have the book of Revelation. What Paul says is, I believe God's word, period. I believe God's word in its entirety. All of the scripture. I take all of God's word in, including the fact that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah that would come. Jesus Christ is that man. He has fulfilled all of the criteria that was necessary from, from Bethlehem and of everything about prophesied, where it would come, who it would be, the line that he's in. He has filled all the criteria. He is the Son of God, and he is the Savior for whosoever will call upon him. Amen. Somebody say amen. So, so Paul right here, he's taking a stab right here at the Sadducees and at the Pharisees because neither of them believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he's taking a shot at, at both of them right here. Remember when, he, when Lysias brought them in, he, he stirred up some things among them. He brought up the resurrection because the Pharisees believe, the Sadducees don't, and he started a fight amongst them. They got to argue within themselves. Right here, he, he puts a shot in the face of both of them. And what he's saying to, to Felix right here, in the presence of all the Sanhedrin, he says, I take my stand on the gospel. Well, I take my stand on the law and the prophets. I take my stand on the word of God. Listen, that, that's got to be our spot. That's got to be our spot. No matter what's going on, no matter whether it seems favorable or not, no, no matter anything in our life, we take our stand on the word of God. Verse 15, he says, I have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow. Talking about the Pharisees, they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Paul, Paul takes a stab here at the Sanhedrin and, and really at Governor Felix as well a little bit. He says, there will be a resurrection and there will be a judgment, both to the good and the evil. But both to the just and the unjust. There, there's going to be a, a judgment day. So, so Paul's not deviating from the scriptures. The one deviating from scripture here is Ananias. The one deviating from the scripture is the Sanhedrin because they, they don't believe in the resurrection. So Paul is preaching the resurrection. He's preaching the message of the New Testament church. And, and he's standing there in his defense. You've you got to understand, 
the, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ is still very fresh on these guys' mind. You know the Sanhedrin, they're the ones responsible for the cross, right? They're the ones that God used. Caiaphas was the head of that group at the time. That's the ones that God used to, to get Jesus arrested, to bring in a bunch of people, to pay a bunch of people to lie, to, to create a false trial, to create a false situation. The Sanhedrin, they're the ones that they, they ain't forgot about that third day resurrection. Uh-uh. Remember, they're the ones, Caiaphas and, and the Sanhedrin, the ones that went to Pilate and said, hey, you need to put some guards in front of that tomb. Make sure that joker don't come out. Make sure the disciples don't steal him away. Because he said, isn't it always amazing that the disciples are hiding in the upper room in fear? And the Pharisees are worried about the third day. Anybody pay attention to that? This is always, always a, a, a part of the story to me. I, I don't understand... The disciples have so much fear. The, the ones that doubted and the ones that, that were responsible for putting them on the cross, they believe in that third day resurrection more than the disciples themselves because they're worried about it. Enough so that they, that they get security put out there. But it's going to take more than a few hand-picked guards to hold the Messiah in, right? Death couldn't hold them in. They sure ain't going to. So, so they haven't forgotten about it. They know all about this third day resurrection. Paul says there is a higher court. And every man's going to stand before the higher court, the just and the unjust, the good and, and, and the evil. Everybody was going to be judged according to the things that they did in, the, in this life. So verse number 16, he says, Herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Paul says it again. It's the same thing he said when he was talking to Lysias and, and Ananias, the high priest, was there. Remember, remember that emergency meeting? We talked about he probably came. They wouldn't have had on all their garb, all their robes. They just they had to come to this all of a sudden meeting. And when Paul said, said listen, I've got a clear conscience. I've got a clear conscience before God. I've got a clear conscience before man. Ananias and somebody hit Paul in the mouth. Remember? Raise your hand. I remember. Nobody remembers. Y'all do remember that. Had him hit him in the mouth. Listen. I don't, I don't think this is an accident. Paul, Paul gets a little poked back right here. Because he says, I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. I'm betting to look down in the eyes and went, chump. You ain't got no authority here now. How somebody hit me in the mouth now? You, you wanna, because he's saying the same thing. He, he says, even, even in my bad days, I have a clear conscience before God because I thought I was pleasing God. I was trying to get rid of these Christians. I thought that's what God wanted me to do. Until Jesus Christ showed up on the road to Damascus and showed me the error of my way. But, but even in that day, my conscience was clear. But now, my conscience is clear before God and man. Because I, I'm def defending the, the Messiah. He goes on in verse 17. says, now after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Paul says, I brought some money. Yeah, he, he just got Felix's attention. You're talking about money. You're talking, you're talking to a politician. So he's got his attention. Paul says, the only reason I was even in Jerusalem is because I came for the Passover. I came to worship, and I brought a great sum of money to try to help the poor in Jerusalem. That, that's my reason for being here. Now, at this point, Felix has got to know, this, this man ain't the man they're accusing him of. This, this guy came just to worship. 
He came to the temple to worship. He brought money for the sole purpose of helping somebody else. And you know that he's got to know he can produce all kind of witnesses to put it there. And they certainly haven't produced any witnesses in their claim against him. He says, I, I came to worship. I, I brought money and I was in the temple worshiping. Verse number 18, whereupon certain Jews from Asia, remember, remember they came, they followed him all the way there from Asia to come, and they found me purified in the temple. So he's, he spent the amount of time, he's purified in the temple, he's there worshiping. He said, neither, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me. What Paul says is that those who came in the temple, they're the ones that caused the problem. We, we were just in there worshiping. They're the ones that came in and started the riot. They're the ones that came in and stirred up all this stuff. Where are they at? I mean, they're the ones. The Sanhedrin wasn't even there when it all first started, so they're not the accusers. Where, where are the ones that are supposed to be the accusers? Where are the ones that say they stirred all this stuff up? He's like, I can tell you where they're at. They're hiding and scared because they know they started a riot in the streets. They know they're the ones that's guilty, and they know if that gets proven here today, they're the ones that's going to prison or beaten or worse. So, so they, don't, they don't even show up. They're not even there. He looks at the members of the Sanhedrin. He says, or else let these same. So he's talking to the Sanhedrin, to Ananias. Let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before their council. Now, verse 21, Paul makes a little bit of a, probably an unnecessary confession, but somewhat of a, of a confession at this last so-called trial that he had. He, he says, you let them say if they found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except. So he said, here's something that I did, though. So Paul's fixing to admit that he did that on purpose. Paul, Paul stirred up that little, that little fight on purpose. He, he knew what result they would get. He said, I, I've not done anything. Let them, let, them, let them, if they found any, let them bring it up, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question by you this day. Paul knows there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, it stirred it up, but it only stirred up because of the bitterness in their own hearts. So is mankind, right? Paul knows that, that the Pharisees teach the same thing. Paul knows that, that the scriptures teach the same thing on, on teaching the resurrection. The issue here is the theological debate between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But it is not a theological debate in the word of God. The resurrection is legit. If the Sadducees and the Pharisees, neither one believed it, it doesn't matter. If nobody on this planet believes it, it doesn't matter. God said it, it's written, it is what it is. So whether or not people believe it doesn't matter. So, so Paul's like, that, that's the thing that we have in question. He says, so, so what, is, what is my crime? What is my crime? He, he says, look, talk to Sanhedrin, right? He says, what is my crime? What, what is it you have to accuse me of? And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, we'll look at that just a minute, but of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias... The chief captain shall come. When he shall come down, I'll know the utmost, the uttermost of your matter. That's a coward's way out. You don't have any proof. You're just babbling, making a bunch of false accusations. You ain't brought one ounce of proof against this man. I can tell from what he's saying, I, I know he's innocent. And you don't have anything different. But I also know I got to put up with you troublemaking Jews. I also know what a thorn in the flesh Ananias is. I also know what a burr under the saddle the, the Sanhedrin council is. 
So, so I'm going to hold Paul over as a prisoner. I don't have any reason. But, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep him here because he knows how much these Jews can, can give him trouble. Now, we, we've already talked about how the, the region here is under Roman authority. If you want to talk about it a little bit before, really, they don't have problems anywhere else. They have problems in Jerusalem and they have problems in Judea because that is base camp for the Jews. That is base camp for the Sanhedrin. And that's where they keep the Jews stirred up. So everything else is under pretty good control. That's why Felix finds it so important here to keep this place under control because if it gets out of control, he's the one that's going to be on the cross. So, so he, he understands to keep it. So, so he ends up keeping Paul as a prisoner. The Sanhedrin, they go away mad. And Paul remains a prisoner without a cause. It says in verse 23 that he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or to come unto him. So Paul is given the perks of his Roman citizenship. That's what this is here. That, that's why he's not really bound in chains and put in the inner dungeons. If he was just straight Jew without Roman citizenship, that's where he'd be. He's given the perks of his Roman citizenship because he's not been condemned. If he's condemned, then he's put in the prison. But he's not, right? Anybody awake in here? He, he's not condemned. He's accused. It's a big difference. So, so, so they've, they've accused him. They, they, they put him in. But that means that, that his friends can come and visit him. That, that means that, that his acquaintances, acquaintances can come and they can bring him food. Or they, they can come and be encouragement. And so we've looked at it before. But I can't help but wonder it again. Where is James? Where is the head of the Jerusalem church? He's the one that sent Paul to the temple. He's the one that sent him there with those men to be a blessing to them. Because he thought it might help Paul connect with the Jews and the Jews connect with Paul. Where is he at? Where is he at in, in Paul's defense? Where are, where are those other men? They know that Paul just went to help them, right? We remember the story. It's about four weeks back. Y'all remember the story? Y'all know why he's there? It's just to help those men fulfill their oath. That's why, where are they at? They're the only ones that are in the temple. They're the only ones that knows what happened outside of that lying mob. They know what happened. They come in and how they got Paul. Where are they at? They're, they're the ones accusing Paul. Where are his traveling companions? The ones that have been through so much with him. The ones that have been through all of the trouble and the turmoil and all the dangers. And, and, and here they've traveled all this distance to, to be with Paul to bring this great sum of money to Jerusalem. All of those, y'all ready? Listen, this is who they are. All of those are representative of a church in a region. They're church leaders. They're, they're heads, just like James is the head of the church at Jerusalem. All those guys, they're, they're like... They're like head people of the church of the different districts that sent money and came with Paul. Where is the church? It's no different today. Where, where is the church? There's so much going on. And the church remains awful quiet in a lot of the garbage that's going on. There are laws being passed every day. They're an abomination before God Almighty. And, and the government's calling stuff legal. If God calls it illegal, it's illegal. I don't care what this government says. And it's time for the church to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. 
All that stuff that you're calling legal, it's not alternate lifestyle, any other garbage is homosexuality, it's a sin, it's an abomination before God. Where's the church? Well, apparently we get it honest. Because I don't see them in none of this either. Here's just my thought. This is just my thought. Yanceology. That's what it's worth. If they had come, surely Luke would have wrote about it. Wouldn't you think so? If, if, if one of them came and presented a case, if one of them came and presented a defense, if one of them came and, and said, hey, I want to say, if one of them just came and said hello and brought him a fresh baked apple pie, surely, don't you think Luke would have written about it? Verse 24, we see somebody wants to know something about it. After certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. Felix called for Paul because he wanted to hear more about this man, Jesus, the way. That's what he called in verse 22, the way. That, the, the way, that, that's what they referred to Christianity. He wanted to hear more, but it says that, that he had a more perfect knowledge of the way. That's what it said in verse 22, right? I said, we'll look at it in a minute. He had a more perfect knowledge of the way. There, there's a reason for that. His wife is a Jewish girl. Now, with a little bit of study, what you find out is, is Drusilla, she, she is the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa. Anybody remember who Herod Agrippa is? He's the one that had James killed with the sword. Remember that? He's the one that had Peter arrested and was going to kill Peter the next morning, but the angel showed up, and the angel dropped the chains off Peter, led him out in prison doors, opening in front of him, walks out in the street, She's the youngest daughter of the man that happened. Pretty sure that got talked about in the house. Sound fair? Sound reasonable? I got this dude locked up. I got guards in here. They go to sleep and doors is just swinging open and chains just falling off. Pretty sure that got talked about. So she's a Jewish teenage girl. She had been promised to, to you know, in the day the word was betrothed. They, they betrothed people. They promised people. And she had been betrothed to a prince in Asia Minor. But in order to be married, he had to be circumcised. It's Jewish custom. He said, that ain't happening, Jack. Mm -mm. Nobody cutting on me. So, so it was, it was annulled. It was taken away. So the dad, in, in the process, about the time died. So Herod Agrippa Jr. comes up. That'd be the second. That, that would be her brother. And he says, oh, I got, I got plans for you. So he promises over here to a prince at Syria who did come get him carried off. But she wasn't having that. She ran away. And guess who she married? There it is. Now, Felix has got multiple wives. She was his third wife. But this is a Jewish girl that knows a lot. So I'm telling you all that for a reason. She knows a lot about Jewish customs. She was around. She's heard a lot about this Messiah. She's heard a lot about Jesus, what they call the way. So, so this isn't, this is a pretty serious desire. I've heard a lot about it. But if there's anybody that can help me, it's going to be this man, Paul. So he calls Paul in, knowing that Paul's one that can help him, that Paul has some information about the way. He also says, well, Paul does exactly what we would expect him to do. He gives them basically the theme of the letter to the church at Rome. He says, righteousness is required. Righteousness is revealed. Righteousness can be received. Righteousness is to be reproduced. He preached righteousness. He, he preached Christ to him, the, the necessity of righteousness, the, the righteousness of Christ, and, and how is it imputed to those who put their trust in Christ? For those who don't, there's a judgment day. 
He said in verse 25, he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. But then it says that Felix trembled. He answered and said, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. What we clearly see is that the Holy Spirit was drawing that man. You clearly see the Holy Spirit speaking to his heart. He, he's trembling. He heard what, what Paul said, and, and he's cut to the heart, but he turned away from it. How, how many? Probably everybody in here. We've spent so much time witnessing to somebody, and, and you talk to them, and you truly thought after an hour of your time and all that, you're fixing to get to lead them to the Lord. I mean, you've answered all their questions, right? And to be honest, Go ahead and raise your hand and say amen. You were surprised yourself at a couple of the answers. I, 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 the Holy Spirit will give you stuff. And, and, and you, you're like, thank you, Lord. I didn't know I knew that. Well, if you put it in, he'll bring it out. And so you've answered all their questions. And you're thinking, if I was listening to me, I'd get saved. I mean, man, that was some good answers. This scriptural is straight up. And, and you're fishing to lead them to the Lord. And, and, and they're there. And, and then they, they say, not right now. Really? Really? I put all that time. I mean, I'm excited. I thought I said you'd lead somebody to the Lord. That, that's, that's where Felix is. He, he, he's trembling. You, matter of fact, when you're talking to people and they're asking you questions, you're answering, you see the tears swelling in their eyes. You know the Holy Spirit's working in them. You know. You see it when they try to talk and their lips quivering. You know God's doing something in them. And you're like, man, I'm fixing to get to lead somebody to the Lord. And they go, not right now. That's where Felix is. Lip, lip trembling, quivering. The Holy Spirit's drawing him. Now, here, here's why it's important. You never hear of another opportunity for him to be saved. He talks to Paul a lot after this day. We're fixing to see it. He talks to Paul a lot, but you don't see him tremble again. Just like so many others, Felix stood at the door of heaven and said, not right now. And there are a whole lot of people have stood at a, at a doorway prepared to open into heaven and walked away and fell off into hell. The very next verse, we, we kind of see that oh, Felix gets a little more than he bargained for out of the conversation. He's heard about the money, so he obviously thinks by this next verse he's going to get some money out of the deal. I mean, after all, Paul did say that he brought a great sum of money, right? One reason I came, brought a great, great deal of money. So he's thinking Paul either has money or he knows how to get his hands on money. Either way, this is the man who can get me some money. So, so he says in verse 26 that he hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. But look at the last half of the verse. It says, wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. He sent for him often. He talked to Paul a lot after this day, but he was not looking for the Holy Spirit. He was not looking for salvation. It says that he wanted to know about the way, but the rest of the time, all it says here is about money. So he called Paul back multiple times, hoping that Paul would offer him money. You can say no to the Holy Spirit one too many times. You don't come except the Holy Spirit draws you. And every one of us here knows what the drawing of the Holy Spirit was like. And I'm probably not the only one who knows that God is an extremely gracious God because I walked away from that drawing 
in younger days in my life. I walked away from the call. I walked away from the opportunity. But God kept giving me, thank you, God. Kept giving me opportunities until the day I got saved. Do you ever wonder on the day when you finally heeded the call and you got saved, do you ever wonder if that was your last chance? Because it was so real that day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I say amen. It was so real. That's why we wanted it. That's why we got saved. It was so real. And, and you, just, you just wonder sometimes, what, would it have been the last time? But, but it says that after two years, if y'all remember when this first started and they were taking him to Caesarea and they first got there, I said, Paul's going to be a prisoner there for two years. That's where that comes from, this verse. After two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room and Felix, willing to show the Jews pleasure, left Paul bound. So for two years, Paul is held unjustly as a prisoner, there's no proof. There's no proof to hold him there. No reason that they have him. There's no crime been proven against him. He's not set free. So we're, we're going to have to stop. I'll, I'll read a couple verses right here as it moves on into chapter 25. So we'll see where we're going to pick up, Lord willing, next week. Festus was coming to the province. So we're having a changing of the guard. We're getting a new governor here. After three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So he comes to Caesarea, takes three days, takes a break. And then the high priest, the chief of the Jews, informed him against Paul. Right out the gate, they're bringing up Paul. As soon as he gets to Jerusalem, they're bringing it up. And they desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, lay in wait in the way to kill him. Apparently, them 40 men ain't forgot their oath. They starving to death. It's been two years, and they ain't ate or drank nothing. And, and they're still trying to do the same thing that they tried to do to Lysias. They're trying to get him to bring him, and what we're going to do is ambush him and kill him. So you see, the, the same thing. They're going to lay him wait. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, that he himself would depart shortly thither. He says, let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. So basically things are about to start over for Paul. You, you got a new man coming in. We'll find out he's a little bit more harsh than Festus was. He, he's, he's a different man. He's a different personality. And so, so this whole process is about to, to start over. And, and as usual, you're going to have a governor who's going to want to please Ananias and the Sanhedrin and the Jews because he don't want those troublemakers on his hands. So already you kind of got to side up against Paul. But but it's 8 o'clock, so Lord willing, Lord willing, we'll pick up there next week. Father, thank you so much for this book. God, thank you for this word. God, thank you for the way it can shape and teach and mold. And Thank you, Father, that we have it, that we can use this word to witness to somebody that's lost. And that this is the power of salvation. This is the word of truth. This is the, the light, the glorious gospel that can take somebody out of hell into heaven. Thank you, Father. For this book, God, thank you for what it's done in our lives. Thank you for the way you continue to teach us, Lord. I pray you'd help us to learn and gain wisdom, Father. I pray you'd help us, Father, to, Lord, to have the perseverance of an apostle Paul. God, I pray you'd help us to be that kind of man that just stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord, no matter what. Not willing to bend, not willing to waver, God. I pray you'd help us to not be that silent church that sits back while persecution and things are taking place, God. May we be a light in a dark world that whether people want to come to it or not, they can't deny that it's there. We love you, God, but we, you've been so good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thank you, God, so much. Been on a win.